Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 266. My name is Brando, and this is as current and as breaking news as you can get in the podcast world, I get, because as I'm taping this, this morning, they announced the inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I wanted to get back on our friend, David Wild. So if you're watching this on Zoom, he's like me. You have a great collection of hats, which maybe we'll get into. I'll switch uh, during the show. Well, I have a, having a great uh, collection of caps is deeply related to having a, a bad hairline. So, yes. Uh, I uh, also agree with that. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I have a Guns N' Roses hat, or if I do, it's very bad shape at this point. But I did have, I, did, I was going to wear my rival sons, which I had for, I wore that for Mother's Day as I was going to you know, send it with me flipping my bird to my brother. Uh, rival sons but and i love that band uh but no i today i went with nasa i uh i feel i'm feeling spaced out so i went with my nasa hat oh beautiful and i my my some of my listeners already know and if you're watching on zoom you can see my horrendously uh fugly or fabulous guns and roses hat that has like all the albums on it it's like they just found the fabric of other of albums and they just put it on a hat is that an official hat or are you no, no. living dangerously? Yes. Uh, yeah, I get it off Amazon. That's how I, the one behind me with the user illusion hat. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know. Guns N' Roses has enough of my money. <laughs> kind of, I know, yeah. Sometimes if they, if they have something really cool, I guess, but I don't know. I find more creative things on, on Etsy shops or Amazon and things, yes. things like that. But anyway, David Wild, thank you uh, first and foremost for coming back on. Before we get into my pleasure, I think. You, it's it, it's not even a think. It's it's a fact because, and this is how I wanted to start the episode with you anyway. Maybe as much, if not more, than any other guest, I got direct messages after your interview saying how amazing it was, how great of a guest you were. You know more. You know it, it's it, just as as far as my quick roll decks. It's you, Brain, uh, Doug Goldstein. Like you're in the upper. You're in the Mount Rushmore right now. It seems to be of of appetite guests. So that is my the only Mount Rushmore I will ever make. But thank you. Uh, my again, I'd have to find a really big cap to be on Mount Rushmore. So uh, uh, I, I don't think there's Dodger hats that big. I, I, I appreciate your, your honesty because there are, and I know just I, I know as a 37 uh, year old why I started wearing. I mean, when I was a kid, I always wore hats, I guess, because I like uh, sports logos and stuff. But as I got older and I started losing my Axel Rosenberg. And it started thinning, and uh, I kind of just at some point, obviously, I just shaved it, and I realized I can grow a beard. So now I'm, now I'm fine. But now I just, I like the, I'm like with you though. I like the creativity. It's an expression. The hats are an expression of myself. So when you're saying you feel out of space today, or you wanted to wear the rival sons with your your brother from Mother's Day, is an extension of your personality. So. Yeah, it is the only fashion choice I make of any significance. I have, I, I, I could care less. I ironically like have written like fashion award shows, and I have absolutely no f- uh, flair or interest in fashion, really. But I do love hats, and I do uh, going to concerts. It was always the T-shirt, but uh, as I've gotten this stage of my life it is purely through the hats that I express myself. And like, I, I did go see Guns N' Roses on the reunion tour. I, I don't know. I think I had to negotiate with my wife how much of the show we could stay for. So I maybe didn't have time on the way out to, I didn't have an extra five minutes to stop at the, and buy the hat. But now I will, I will have to go, uh, unless someone wants to crowdsource it out of the uh, <laughs> appetite for uh, distortion family, uh, I will, I, I will have to acquire one. Unless, Doug Goldstein finds one in his uh, locker that he wants to send me. Maybe, maybe. And Doug has a lot of, he has to find a lot of, we're going to have to find a lot of pictures and, and stories for the book we're putting together, but that's kind of another 
uh, story for another time. But I got to ask before I lose it, how, how come you had to negotiate to leave that the show early? How come you? Well, I married someone who likes music. Actually, Guns N' Roses is more. When I met her, she's from Southern California, and her taste was a little more metal. Well, she's her taste is that she never really cared about music. She had one album when we met, which was, I believe, the soundtrack to the romantic comedy about last night. Like she <laughs> and she didn't have anything to play it on. So I, I it's a, a it, we have different interests musically that have grown closer together. But being my wife, I've dragged her to many concerts, and I've literally there's times when I've had to negotiate. Like it's like a game show. Like I'll go to that concert for three songs. I think I, got, <laughs> I think Chris Stapleton, I, I really wanted to see. And we were coming, driving like past the venue and she goes, I'll go for three songs. So I saw Chris, you know, I got to see three great songs with Chris Stapleton. I think I, I she gave me an hour and a half of total of Guns N' Roses. And I had to keep pushing it. Because I don't think I, I, I did want to hear it. Well, I think it was Sweet Child of Mine. I still needed to emotionally have that moment. Uh, <laughs> and I think Wichita Lineman had crept in between. So, uh, yeah, what, you know, I, you know, you're not married yet, right? You're you have where I'm engaged. You're engaged. Well, congratulations. And here's here's a pro tip. Okay. You you will have to negotiate many things. And one of them is like, you know, I will go with you to this concert, but I will go with you to this concert for this long and not, you know, whereas my life, if I were up to my own, uh, left to my own devices, I will and have, you know, stayed through the show and then waited to hang out with the artist afterwards. It could be like a six hour process. And that is not, you know, my wife sleeps and works hard. And uh, so, yeah, that's the truth. Understood. And given the amount of opportunities uh, and places and, and concerts you get to see, I, I get it. I kind of, it's not like you're seeing one concert a, a year or anything like that, but I don't know. No. Since my kids went to college, yeah. I go to a lot. I, and before the pandemic, a lot of concerts, my wife did go to me the, the, when they did the box set uh, uh, guns and roses party at the place where they shot the video. You heard, I'm sure you've heard about that event. Yeah. Uh, my wife did go to that with me and did, wait around it was that it was like like you know it, it was a that was a long few hours that was a long wait uh but it was an honor to be there and yeah so she'll she she likes she likes axel too she did go to axel's house with me with my kids for the uh, halloween party you know she's she loves her guns and roses uh so she's yeah i, I married well in that sense too I, it, it sounds it. It absolutely sounds it. And we're going to have to, you just touched on a couple of stories that we're going to just plant the seeds right now, but uh, just to t tie it together, I know what you're talking about uh, with negotiating. So in the meeting to, for me to record this, you know, uh, in the afternoon during week, I had to let my fiance watch uh, real housewives, you know? So it's like, it's like one of those things or, you know, she'll listen to Megadeth if I listen to Dave Mustaine. I mean, excuse me, she'll listen to Megadeth if I listen to Dave Matthews. That's what I meant. Uh, yeah. It's the, like a little the, thing. The, like the Mustaine, uh, uh, you know, Megadeth, it's not a real negotiation. Yeah. It, she'll, I believe I believe in Dave Mustaine's head, they're the exact same thing. Probably. Probably. Yes. Uh, but in addition to you being just a, a sought-after guest, we have questions for you from uh, from last time. One of them being the, you know, the Halloween party experience. But was to talk about the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, inductions that were named today as we're recording this. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows by now who they are. But uh, for our purposes, I'll just in, if you're listening to this podcast, I'll just name uh, some of the big ones who made it: uh, Tina Turner, Carol King, uh, the Go Go's, Jay Z, Todd Rundgren, the Foo Fighters, uh, Kraftwerk, uh, Charlie Patton, uh, Gil Scott, uh, Heroin. I guess I'm going to go through the entire list. Uh, so he, Gil Scott was a poet. I think Charlie was a blues guy. Uh, LL Cool J, who you, I know you're, your, your BFF. Uh, Clarence Avant, who I, I didn't know much about, but looking him up, he was called the, uh, the Black Godfather. So I think just having that nickname gets you into the Hall of Fame and they get to do something special for, for Randy Rhodes. So that is who is in. Uh, yeah, so and it, it's really, you know, I've been voting, I think, for decades now, one of the voters, I'm not on the nominating committees that sort of decide who gets on the ballot, but I've got, I'm one of those people who gets the ballot year after year. And 
I have to say, I know every, every year people are going to be mad, but for this year, I'm pretty happy with, you know, yes, I would like Pat Benatar on there. Yes. I would, you know, I have opinions. We can discuss them, but like there's two people like LL Cool J finally getting some recognition by the hall is a big deal to me because I am the exact age where I was there when hip hop hit and he was the first rock superstar to come out of hip hop. And this is another issue. Like people, there are some people who will never be comfortable with hip hop really being in the rock and roll hall of fame. I will say, I feel differently. I think actually that, that whole idea of rock and roll is to me, that's where the, the big bang of modern music is where black music and where country and blues and uh, R&B all sort of explode into rock and roll. That role is the sort of soulful black tradition of music from R&B. And that those, those two from that, like in many ways, you know, does Nine Inch Nails or Depeche Mode have that much to do with what, you know, Chuck Berry and Carl Perkins were doing. The thing is, none of what we're living through is possible without that Big Bang. That Big Bang was a black and a white explosion. And for some people, they want to reduce rock and roll to basically the shit white people did. And that's, to me, essentially a misunderstanding, at worst, sometimes a racist inclination that, so same thing with Disco Sucks, to whiteify rock history, which I don't cotton to. It's, it's in fact, the reason most of the people, I'm sorry, the artists that people are most mad about not getting in right now is Iron Maiden. And I understand Iron Maiden are an incredibly big group with an incredibly strong fan base. And I have nothing but respect for them. On the other hand, I am not upset about that because I have, to be 100% honest, I never really, uh, you know, have listened to for pleasure Iron Maiden. It's just not my thing. And I was thinking about why that is, because I know in this, you know, with the appetite for distortion audience, I'm sure there's a ton of Iron Maiden fans. And I, I stand with you and I hope they get in eventually. But in terms of my vote, you know, over the years, I do tend to vote for artists who connect with me. And like the truth is, uh, I have always liked uh, the rock bands that have not that don't just rock, but roll, that have that sort of some connection to the sort of bluesier R&B uh, soulful side of the music that we, we love. And that's, you know, Aerosmith was my first hard rock band I loved. Uh, ACDC always loved in part because they were coming out of Little Richard. Like, you know, if you listen to, you know, uh, I think Angus, I think they, Little Richard was their, you know, their hero. And that is a, a lot of the hard rock that I don't care as much about is stuff that is, does, that rocks really hard, but doesn't roll, that doesn't have that sort of uh, almost chemical connection to the origin of rock and roll. So that's why, and what's weird is interesting, Guns N' Roses is, I've always, you know, uh, I, they are not like a lot of bands I love. I just love them because partly I think I could sense from the first notes I heard that Axel is a soulful artist, that as a writer, as a singer, I believe it was coming from his soul. It wasn't like another kid trying to imitate Black Sabbath. It was personal expression, pained, soulful. And for all the interesting, you know, or, or, questionable racial stuff that's gone on over the years in rock and roll. I happen to like, uh, I think Guns N' Roses is interesting in that way because you have Slash, who's a mixed, you know, race and who, you know, grew up around Bowie, but also like there's something in the music that I think is, you know, is deeply soulful, even, you know, in that rock way where I don't hear that with all hard rock bands. Sometimes I feel like hard rock minimizes the soulful part of the music and some of it can get, you know, more into guitar wankery or, uh, you know, just sort of like vocals that I don't find as soulful. So that's why to me, it's like years ago, uh, I had a, I was on a serious show 
And people brought up, it was outrageous. They thought that uh, Beyonce got like a nomination in a rock category. And I just don't buy that. It's like, we can't reduce artists to what race they are because the music itself is such, it is black and white and, and, uh, and soulful all over at its best. So uh, LL Cool J, I'm telling you, I watched, I know him and he's a friend, so I'm not being objective here, but he was a rock star. He was the first, uh, Curtis Blow had the first sort of rock star moment, I think in hip hop uh, with the breaks, but then LL became a rock star. He just sort of had the, uh, you know, the impact. Uh, and he, then I think the Beastie Boys crossed it over to the suburbs in an even bigger way. Uh, but yeah, that's Ella Cool J made my day. It make you know, as does Todd Rundgren, as does the Go Go's, as a guy who I think as a rock critic, I probably undervalued them because uh, I was too busy thinking they were adorable to realize they were really good. Uh, so yeah, those are some of my thoughts. Lot to lot to process because y- you hope that obviously race doesn't play a factor into any of this. You know, you would think not, but I, I you would find it. Well, well, I hate to tell you, we're in America. So I know, I know. It, but I mean, it just might. I know. But in, in this discussion, though, I mean, because I don't think anybody, any real rock and roll fan or metal fan or anybody can discredit the the architect of rock and roll, Little Richard, or what Chuck Berry did or, you know, or, or Fats Domino or, you know, the beginning of that and the building blocks and, you know, Slash playing with B.B. King. And I, I think that's understood and that's why it's great to see these blues guys yeah they're they're years after they've been they've passed get into the hall the rock and roll hall of fame but you're making me um which is it's too late because the word hall is already in the uh merriam webster Webster dictionary it makes me wish hall was another it had another definition i guess because i know what you're saying i i like the 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 umbrella you're putting everything in with the, the here's the rock and here's the role of it all because, you know, you started off talking about the uh, your rival son's hat. Yeah, that's a band that has rock and roll that you can feel it. There are bands that, yeah, they're just doing guitar wankery. There's, there's nothing that you can really trace back to the roots of rock and roll, I guess. Maybe they, uh, so I, I get all of that. I think it, what I have a problem with, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to speak for everybody. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm, it's if it was a music hall of fame, people like Beyonce who are deserving to be recognized. Like I'm not a fan of hers, so I can go in all in and be like, you know, I don't want to be like Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> they suck. No, I, I mean, if I don't like something, I can still respect what they are, the impact they've had. She just, it's, if it's still called the rock and roll hall of fame and we've already opened up that Pandora's box anyway, it doesn't make sense for her to get in over an iron maiden who, you know, with very little radio support, who can st- sell out stadiums around the world still, all around the world, and their impact. And you, you see, you know, them, they've transcended. When you see, like, a Kardashian or whatever, they're wearing Iron Maiden shirts. They don't know a song, but Iron Maiden, the brand, is, uh, is, is significant, you know, what they've done. You may not like, you know, I like them. I'm not going to, I don't. I don't know if I can, uh, I haven't seen them live. I want to, but I, you know, I'll listen to run to the Hills. And of course I named the most famous one, but I, I just doesn't make sense why. And I'll say this about a band. I like you, you, my first album uh, or cassette rather was green days. Dookie. I got that in my Hanukkah stocking. My mom got it for me when I was real young, obviously. And th- to me, they don't deserve to be in before Soundgarden, before iron maiden, before the go-go's, I think it's a travesty that the Green Day got in. And I'm, again, I'm a Green Day fan. If I name you my top 10, 15 favorite bands, they're in there. The Go-Go's should be in because they're the ones. That's paying respect. That's the role to me. So what I would love to see happen, which won't happen, which won't happen. And this is the fantasy I always played, like if I ever became famous and I ever had an opportunity. Uh, if Dave Grohl who is the connoisseur, who is the teacher of all things uh, historic history and rock and roll said, no, I'm not getting in until Chris Cornell gets in. I'm not getting in until Pat Benatar gets in. He, th- without them, I'm sure he would say in any given day without them, he wouldn't be here. So why is he getting in first? Foo fighters are bigger now, I guess. 
So I, that's, that's how I kind of feel about it. I don't want to take away from anyone who's undeserving. And I will say, just for, for you, your buddy, LL, I agree. Because he, at the beginning, like the run DMCs, that is rock. That helped transition a lot of rock bands into hip hop. So that's a building block. But Beyonce, I mean, I don't think she's been around long enough. Same thing with Green Day. I, I don't think the Foo Fighters should have gotten in this time. That's how, how I feel. Well, my, my two cents are, first of all, about the, like, if you called it the Music Hall of Fame, it's like, there we'd have to extend the argument to, well, what polka artists are in, what classical artists, what jazz, it just doesn't, it, it, it is unwieldy. It's, it, I would, would I write an award show to kick off the Music Hall of Fame? Yes, if they're paying me, all for it. But <laughs> the truth is, I think, I, I, I will die on the hill that I do not and have never liked the, there was a reduction. Remember, rock and roll was my parents' generation. Rock in this, it's sort of when I was first coming of age, like in the 70s, and the first time I'm aware of anything, uh, that was the era when FM radio, I think, tried to take rock and roll and limit it down to rock, which was a white, the radio, like classic rock radio, it's what happened MTV in the beginning when they wouldn't play Michael Jackson and had to have their arm twisted. It was an attempt to narrow down this dangerous cultural force into something that was for white people, made by white people to a large degree. Uh, and I don't buy that. I don't buy into it. I refuse to ever accept it. So I think like rock anybody who thinks rock is what the white people did is just wrong it's just no, no i'm not saying you're saying that i'm just oh. saying i think i think that needs to be uh i love that the rock hall blast that open because that uh that's not true and i just musically it's like if i in my head the rock you know what is great rock and roll what is it's this youth you know this this form of youthful revolutionary uh, form of music that was had anger, which I think the rock, the sort of attitude, the, you know, the sort of defiance, the generational uh, tension of it. I love the rock stuff, but the role, which came from R and B, you know, probably ironically came from like sister Rosetta Tharp. If you want to go back, you know, to someone, you know, who's in the hall of fame, it goes back to the black sort of secular when gospel got secular and sexual it's the sort of stuff that ray charles brought into music it was oh, yeah. it was the, the role is the sex and the thing is you cannot and that to me again just personal taste there is a lot of heavy metal uh that to me takes the sex out of the music it may be that they're writing about sex but it do, it is not sexy i do not find most it's male heavy metal vocalists singing sexy at all where whereas steven tyler because he's deeply connected to the r&b of it all and the role of it all uh that that to me was uh led zeppelin that's why like, I think Led Zeppelin, the part of them I love is that they have enough of that love for the R&B of it that they and John Bonham was enough of a sort of musical force that they had a role to it. A lot of the other, you know, Guns N' Roses has that like I think Adler, probably an underrated drummer because that music had some soulfulness and live they had some soulfulness. Some other bands, again, just for me, they don't have that. So that's why I just think like. Tina Turner getting in is really interesting because like you could argue politically, it's not good to say too much good about Ike Turner, but Ike Turner was one of those black artists who was sort of helped, you know, some people credit him with the first rock and roll record, literally. Uh, but he was, you know, an important figure. And with Tina, this great band, this great sort of showcase live act, uh, and now we're seeing Tina Turner recognized, you know, you can tell, obviously it's good to make a documentary if you want to get in the rock and roll hall of fame, like Tina, <laughs> go, go, that's all working. But yeah, that's just my, my take on it is in terms of being on this guns and roses podcast, it is that even for all the controversies, if you think about that guns and roses are maybe, I'm trying to think if this is an, there's an exception 
is there a hard rock band with a, uh, uh, at least a, uh, a mixed race member besides Guns N' Roses? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Like, like Rage Against the Machine, who we're not in? Right. Uh, but like, so, yeah, I think there's something that's always been interesting about uh, Guns N' Roses is that there's a, uh, yeah, uh, again, I, they, they're a soulful act and always have been in my mind. And that's also Axel. Like I find Axel's uh, part of what makes like a great soul singer is I believe them. Like in the whole, if you want to make it the music hall of fame, like Sinatra to me is the first great singer. And why is he the first great singer? He's the first singer. If you listen to like Al Jolson or, you know, Bing Crosby, a lot of them had nice voices. I didn't believe a word they said, not at all. And I think Sinatra was the first guy, especially when he started getting sexier. And, you know, you, you buy his bravado, you buy. He's his, a storyteller. With yeah, the way a storyteller. But yeah. And so I think that's Axel, I believe when he, that, that the first time I heard Sweet Child of Mine, you believe, you feel from his soul, his obsessive love, you know, his, anger, his desire on that first album, you hear it all. So that's why, uh, you know, I'd, I, I'm not mad that Guns N' Roses got in right away. I wish they had all taken the stage together and played. That would have been really, really cool. But uh, that didn't happen. And then I did say, uh, I said this at the time and I tweeted this today, you know, of course, talking about the Hall of Fame being uh, topical and you coming on, that when Axel put out that letter to the Hall of Fame, you know, declining and at the time, it really almost lost me as a fan because I'm like, really? You can't get together for one night? But now, you know, I've come to understand his point of view and I'm glad he did it on his terms, you know, instead of being kind of forced upon him and maybe uncomfortable. Um, but I, I agree with everything you're saying with the soul. That's why I love Slash's Snake Pit. And that's why maybe here's a nice little transition uh, because that's why I was, I was really curious if I was going to like Chinese Democracy. Because I liked, that's what GNR struck with, uh, it accorded with me, pun intended, to, you like puns. Follow, follow uh, uh, David Wild about music for more puns, actually. Yeah, more than you ever wanted. <laughs> it's so great to see the celebrities that you uh, annoy <laughs> with it all. But uh, with, I just, with, I just didn't know what it was going to be like, Chinese democracy. Because again, I, I like the blues and soulful of it all. And that's what, I like the anger and... I, I, my dad kind of grew me up, brought me up on that music. In addition to listening to classic rock, he had Al Green records. He had Marvin Gaye records. So that's kind of, that's where GNR, they kind of met, you know, kind of met there. But uh, before I lose it, because I want to make sure uh, I get in some fan questions, because as I said at the beginning, uh, you were much anticipated to come on again. This is from uh, Ray Giordano. Because you, last episode, we spoke about you were invited. Uh, to go hear Chinese democracy before anybody else. And when everyone's still wondering or we're getting the illegal leaks, you're listening to it, uh, you're listening to it legally in studio with Axel. Yeah, I was never charged with any leaks. <laughs> so uh, can you ask him, he's like, uh, specifically, even though he mentioned he loved everything you heard back in 2000, if you recall hearing anything uh, that didn't make the record other than the instrumental of Oklahoma that he mentioned in the interview back in 2000. I don't. And, you know, I wish I were a person who still kept, you know, there are some reporters who've kept every notebook they ever had. I wish I had that notebook. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm mainly a TV writer producer. I don't even, I don't, I, I can't even, I have one area where I have some old audio tapes that I haven't had time in the last 15, you know, having kids and being in TV. I, I've never even gone through my cassettes but I would love to see if I could find that interview and find uh, uh, my notebook. I won't, I won't be able to find a notebook. I haven't kept those. Uh, I've, it's 18 spring cleanings ago. Uh, I'm sure. But uh, I don't really remember. I can, I remember the room. I remember the energy. I remember like, I remember like liking, and this must be something that Doug, you know, could relate to like, if you like the guy, it was this interesting thing of like, how much do I speak truth to power, you know, to, cause Axel has power, you know, in every way he has, I'm not saying cause he was rich, but he has like, he gives off, 
he radiates an intensity. Uh, and I remember like when he said something about Slash, I had this, I was like, I think I have to defend Slash from what he just said. And I'm like, that, I know that's not going to go well. But on the other hand, I think he needs to hear, no, Slash is not evil. <laughs> you know, Slash. And I'm so happy that now, obviously, they're together and uh, neither calls me much. But uh, I think uh, I, I like, I think the truth is, like, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I will hopefully, I will try to find a day this summer to see if I can even find the cassette. Uh, Cause it probably would have been a cassette back then uh, of Axel. I will take a look, uh, but I'm sure if I find it, it's not necessarily, it doesn't mean it hasn't burned up in the California sun. And, and Ray also asks, cause I want to know how hardcore your, your fandom or nerdum Wentz, do you uh, were you part of the the build sessions like hearing that because there are a lot of all of those leaks have you heard the other songs that never came out that are you know circling uh the the interwebs all again albeit illegally like uh, uh other than your show there was was there a site or something at one point i remember clicking on is it here today gone what was that yeah, here today gone to hell that's run was- yeah that's run by a friend of the band i i believe I, I, there was a period where I would click on stuff. The funny thing is about the internet and I appreciate the question. <laughs> sorry. I don't mean to frustrate anyone. I just, uh, one thing I realized when the internet really exploded was I always thought I was the biggest fan of the bands, the biggest fan in the world of bands I liked. And then I realized, no, there's a world that, because like, well, there are a lot of people who have one band they love. And so they just keep going down rabbit holes uh, and exposing rabbits for the rest of us uh um i like i could go down the rabbit hole of the raspberries or the beetle or you know the the beetle solo careers or the stones or there's a lot of paths i could go down so i can't i can't i haven't heard everything but uh yeah i i i have been interested in it uh and then periodically like it's really what my work would bring me back to when Velvet Revolver came about. Uh, I think it was Slash asked me to be to go into the studio. I wrote the bio for the first record, so I was one of the first people to hear. I went into the studio when they were finishing that record. I remember watching Scott Weiland. I think it was uh, what's that great song? Is it I Fall to Pieces? Uh, Fall to Pieces. Yeah, I think I watched him like cut a vocal for that and uh, or they were maybe shooting something for a video to go with that. And I just I, and I, I was so happy because that record was, uh, you know, much better than I expected. That was like, you know, and uh, I could think that that first record caught Scott when he was in a good place. Uh, um, but so periodically I've returned to my deep love of Guns and Roses, but not, you know, uh, it's not, yeah, not all the time. Uh, I did uh, years. One of the I don't know if we discussed this last time. One of the greatest weird days I ever had was at the Grammys uh, when we did Across the Universe uh, for a benefit for, uh, I think, Tsunami Relief. I don't know if did I discuss okay. that with you last time. I don't believe so. Uh, and the band was Velvet Revolver was the backing band for Bono, Stevie Wonder, Alicia Keys, Steven Tyler and Steve, uh, Ken Ehrlich, who's the executive producer, we were, you know, the Grammys are an intense show. And at one point he goes, I have to deal with Bruce or whatever who he was dealing with. He goes, you go oversee the rehearsal. <laughs> and so I had to go into a side room with uh, Velvet Revolver and try to rehearse like Brian Wilson, <laughs> Stevie Wonder, Bono, Steven Tyler singing across the universe. Uh, and I'll never forget it. And it was like, uh, you know, I just I'd love to actually. If I ran into Duff, I think Duff like fell down that during the rehearsal. Like I think he was either. Sorry, that's uh, Duff. That's Duff exactly. It, it does say out of area, so it could be. <laughs> um, uh, it, it does say Seattle. Uh, no, but in any case, it's Duff's wife who only talks to you, not me. Um, uh, but in any case, like yeah. So I'm not. Uh, I, I, every once in a while, like I'll talk, uh, I, I, I did talk to, for an article years, a couple of years ago about Chinese democracy with, uh, and I don't know if this book, I have not read the book yet. 
the the Artavana book. What's it called okay. about? Uh, have you read that book? I have not. I have not. Yeah, uh, I have not read it yet. I got it. Uh, um, so no, I'm not. I haven't gone so deep into anything in the era of a. I'm now a a you know. I, once I became a parent, my deep dives uh, became uh, a little fewer and far between. And I agree with you. And this is coming from a guy who hosts a, a Guns N' Roses. I want to say Guns N' Roses themed podcast because, yeah, I can get Susan Holmes McKagan. Yes. I get rejected from like the dumbest things because I'm uh, they think I'm just like a GNR fan site that it's I don't know. So I, I always try to <laughs> I want to get what's the best example. I couldn't get uh Dirty Honey recently because that's I don't know. That's too close to home for some reason. I'm just glad if I finally got miles just to prove that I'm not like some sort of a, you know, TMZ kind of a kind of person. But that that's yeah, a Miles, Miles seems like a great guy. I think I've met him once or twice, but he comes off great. He does. But I, it's, it's just it's I think uh, as you were saying that that story, I think I recently shared it was like the anniversary of that Grammys of Across the Universe because uh, through my job at iHeart, I have access to Getty Images. So there's a lot of Getty image, like official imagery of that. And I'm like, how did that happen? That is like that star power is just incredible. And again, that goes back to you look at the um, diversity on that stage. Right. And that's how and that's great. That's what's great about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But it's kind that's, of like, that was Grammys. That was Grammys. Grammys. I'm sorry. That's great. But I'm, I'm comparing the I'm comparing yeah. it to I'm saying that's what's great about seeing the Grammys with all the diversity up there with Velvet Revolver and Stevie Wonder and everything. That's going back to our, our beginning conversation about the Hall of Fame. That's how I envision it. I, I want a giant museum of all different genres singing across the universe together. This is where we meet. Well, that's, yeah, that's an example. I can remember very vividly being in that room with those people. It was Alison Krauss from Bluegrass and Country and Alicia Keys, you know, people from different backgrounds. And I remember like, and it was crazy because Brian Wilson, who's an interesting character who's been through, you know, a lot. Sure. Like I remember he goes, uh, like someone was having a problem with a harmony. They were trying to work out some harmonies and uh, Brian Wilson raised his hand and goes, oh, I'm pretty good at harmonies. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, like you invented harmony in rock and roll. So yeah, you're pretty good at harmony. Like unless we have an Everly brother, there's no one better than you on earth uh, at all. And maybe not even then, uh, but that was a crazy moment. Yeah, and then, yeah, like uh, just a weird recollection as a rock fanatic was, Bono and Stevie Wonder got into a discussion because the lyric is like, nothing's going to change my world. Uh, and because we were trying to raise money for this, like those impacted by a tsunami, I think Bono really interestingly said, I think we have to sing something's going to got to change our world. Right. <laughs> and, and I was like, that is great. And I love that. I better call Yoko <laughs> that we're not going to get sued when tomorrow night we, uh, we sing a different word in, uh, in John Lennon's song. I had that at the white house, the day that I got the call to go to Axel's house. I think I told you I was at the white house yeah. that same day, the guy who, uh, executive produces the rock, uh, the rock hall show, the broadcast last year. And this year, I think we'll be doing, I assume, uh, Joel Gallen. Joel, I was doing a show at the white house with Joel Gallen. And uh, he said, I want you to rewrite the lyrics for white Christmas to make them kind of funny about now. And I'm like, okay, uh, that's good. I'll, and I wrote some lyrics. I said, but someone better tell Irving Berlin's estate that I've rewritten the words for White Christmas, at which point I was told to call the Irving Berlin estate, you know, the guy who wrote it. And they wouldn't even let me fax my lyrics. They said, no one is changing the fucking words. For White Christmas. <laughs> uh, and definitely not you. Uh, so, uh, so, yes, that's just a that's a Velvet Revolver Guns N' Roses adjacent memory. Oh, I love it. I always say six degrees of GNR bacon, but I need to do six degrees of David. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you're Jewish, but you mentioned bacon quite a bit. You don't know that I'm Jewish? Did you really? Well, but you, I feel you shouldn't mention bacon that much. You know, oh. come up with a, a it's better be a beef bacon, not a, a pork bacon for you. Oh, I, I'm not a, I, I was bar mitzvah. Uh, October 26, 1996. I remember that because the Yankees yes. won the World Series. 
Well, that's, that's a Doug, that's a Doug Goldstein question. You should find out. Did Guns N' Roses ever do a corporate bar mitzvah date? <laughs> you know what? Because by the way, a lot of people. I think I believe there's a. You'd be shocked at the rock groups that have done. You know, showed up at uh, a birthday party or a. Uh, uh, I interviewed. I want to say it was Fat Mike of NoFX, and they did a whole album at a bar mitzvah. I believe that they had that they recorded a whole album at someone's bar mitzvah. I, mean, uh, I think when, when the last year's history is written, I want to know what acts did privates at people's homes, like in the backyard in a mask. I'm guessing a few. That would be my serious guess. Well, here's a good uh, transition to, I guess, parties and celebrations. Uh, the Halloween party. Actually, I just said to my fiance who likes, he puts up a Christmas tree. We're not, you know, she's not religious. I'm not religious. I'm more I'm kind of like that uh, the Seinfeld thing where, you know, Jewish for the jokes. I, 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 I just want to offend anybody, I guess. I'm just like, I'm culturally Jewish. And look at this. I have a, I, if you look at Zoom, I have a patience in Hebrew tattooed on me. How Which is that? great because it both says you're Hebrew and also means you cannot be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Exactly. Perfect. It's the ultimate combo platter of, uh, of wrong. I also don't think that's true. I think some cemeteries... Uh, I'm, I'm joking. I'm not. I'm I know not you remotely, are. I'm not remotely religious. Uh, I'm, I'm deeply spiritual and not remotely religious. Right. And for me, it's whatever you believe in, as long as you're a good person. I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I believe in Slash and Axel. There you go. I believe the children are our future. All right, we'll stop there. But uh, she has, you know, we'll put up a Christmas tree. I grew up with, a, I mentioned the Hanukkah stockings where I got Green Day's Dookie the first time. So, yes, I had a, I had a Hanukkah bush. But I want a Halloween tree, just like Axl Rose. So can you tell us, like, how were you, you know, I'm assuming you were close enough with Axl at the time. How, how did it go down? Was it like the house in Haunted Hill invited or was it like a, a discovery I, zone? Like, what? I, I, I want to I respect his privacy completely other than to say that it was the party was outside the house. It was. Okay all around a yard in a beautiful spot. Uh, it was incredibly well appointed for anything a kid would want and the great refreshments for adults as well. And it was it was sort of like a Gatsby with a slight, it's like slightly hard rock Gatsby, like uh, a giant lawn, uh, not far from a body of water uh, with just sort of like rides and, uh, you know, I believe everything like my older son, who was probably old enough. I think my little one was literally an infant, but my older one, every, he was he, he did say the next morning, Daddy, I want to go back to Axel's. So <laughs> uh, and uh, he's still saying that every day. He's now you know graduated <laughs> Berkeley, but he still wants to go back to Axel's. Uh, uh, and it was not like in a creepy, uh, you know, uh, Neverland way. kind of way it, it felt it was seemed like a really it seemed like Axel loved kids like and was living out some unfulfilled dream of his childhood probably he didn't have I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there were not parties on that scale uh, you know uh, in Indiana my guess I'd have to imagine I mean you hear about these parties and yeah I don't want you to say anything that's um no. Oh, he lives at, you know, one, two, three Sesame Street or whatever. Uh, but what about the, the Halloween trees or anything you could tell us about that? Any like an ornament, maybe that like won't give away his location or something like that. I have no I have no memory of that. I I, okay. I think I might have gone. I, I remember seeing part of the house. I may have like changed a diaper on a balcony. That's sort of as much. <laughs> detail as like and it was it would have been my own child's diaper to be clear i was uh, <laughs> i was totally, totally inappropriate thank you, thank you. yes uh I, I i remember food of course valet? what about a valet was there a valet or did you have to park yourself uh i i do remember the entrance i think we i i think there was a valet i think there had to be in this neck of the woods in this all right neck of the woods yes okay good <laughs> but yeah i'm willing to go back for any other halloween party i'm available i'm unbooked for halloween 
So when was, because was the last time you spoke to him when he blamed you for something that you had no involvement with, like the Rolling Stone thing? Was that the last time you heard from, from Axel? That might be the last time. Uh, the last thing was sort of indirect where I, I didn't tell him, I told the intermediary that I didn't want to be bothered at my dad's while my watching my dad die. Right. But, uh, yeah. It was, uh, and it, so it wasn't, you know, he didn't know that it just was exactly. bad timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I saw him not that many, you know, in the, <laughs> I saw him not that many years ago, ran into him in a, you know, not far from where he, where the house was like in a public place and, you know, nodded, smiled, got a nice greeting. Hey, hey David. Okay. I, he was, uh, I, I, all I can tell you is like, uh, I genuinely liked him and I will tell you like, and I liked every, every member of the band. I recently, someone like a two years ago sent me footage. I also was on the road with them when Skid Row were opening up, I think I did a cover story on Skid Row, the one that people might remember, the Sebastian ended up solo on the uh, cover, which might have been there, no doubt, don't speak moment where, you know, uh, Sebastian got singled out on the cover. Uh, But someone sent me footage of me backstage at that tour. And I think it was like Duff slash... Sebastian, it may have been one of those nights when everyone was waiting around for Axel, you know, but like in a like they were jamming and then you turn up, you camera turns and I'm like sitting in the room nodding like the idiot that I still am, uh, like at how great they were because they were, they are, you know, and I still do see Sebastian uh, quite a bit. Now, have you tried to get him on your show or will he not do it? I, I, I have, I don't know if this was uh, directed at me, but like one time he tweeted, stop asking me to be on your podcast. <laughs> I don't think that was directed at me, but I've tried, I've tried. Uh, and it's one of those, like, I never got to know. It was one of those, like I email somebody and it doesn't go anywhere. And he's, he is very responsive on Twitter, which is, uh, I appreciate, but I, I mean, I will, I would love to interview him, David. I, I, I'll put it on uh, record. If, if I ever get him, you will be my co-host if you if you want to be my co-host. You know, uh, thank you. Uh, I, I, I listen. I would not lean on him, but I will. You know, we tweet he and I, and I I, I do run into him, and I love that guy. Like he's a ridiculously passionate believer in the bands he believes in, which I know is the case with Guns and Roses. And like that was actually I don't know if you've ever covered this on the podcast. Like there are those. Wasn't that one of the albums a couple albums ago for Sebastian where Axel popped up on a couple tracks and it was like yeah. in a years when you weren't hearing him at all, it was such a great thing to hear that voice. I remember I was doing radio in Cape Cod and that was when Angel Down, uh, that was the record by Sebastian came out. I believe it was Angel really Down. Good yeah. Really good record. Really good record. Yeah. And there was two songs Axel did. One of them was the Aerosmith cover. And that's something... Yeah, I want to talk about that with Sebastian. And I think sometimes, and this is what I get um, from the GNR world, is a concern because there are people that are after Axel information with nefarious reason. And obviously, Sebastian and Axel are buddies. So from him, I'm if, if he is aware of me, he might be looking at like, I don't want Guns N' Roses podcast. They're going to ask me a million questions about Axel. I love some, I mean, I'm a huge Skid Row fan. I've seen him solo three times. I mean, I love the fact that he's in the comic books. No, I mean, I could talk to him. Savage animal. I mean, I could talk to him about so many different things. So uh, putting it out in the universe, across the universe, uh, hopefully one day he's on my, uh, my bucket list. I think he's, he's awesome. He's hilarious. He certainly was a lot of, uh, he was one of those like D Snyder, it was really interesting to follow uh, during the election, you know, and they just didn't give a fuck if they lost fans or not. They're just being themselves. And even if you don't agree, that's how I am. Like, just be yourself on it. Like, I don't, Ten Nugent, I don't agree with, but at least he's being himself. You know, don't be fake or phony or anything like that. Ted, Ted Nugent, one of my <laughs> weirdest moments, the, the, I think it was the day I moved to California, which is 30 years ago. This year, almost exactly today, 30 years ago, I moved Rolling Stone. Jan Wenner moved me to be the L.A. bureau chief 
from New York and we didn't have a bureau. So I was like, sort of, he hadn't had one in years. And I got walked into the office and the first call I got was Ted Nugent. Okay. And, and it was uh, David Ted Nugent for you. And uh, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll guess I'll take this call. And I had just written the liner notes for a box set called Pandora's box for Aerosmith actually, who I love. And that came across, I think in those notes, but I picked up the phone and uh, uh, he goes, David, Ted Nugent here. I said, and he, I said, nice, nice to meet you. He goes, David, I thought when you became a rock critic, you had to leave your dick at the door, but you're still holding on to yours with both hands. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's a compliment, uh, if not uh, maybe an accurate criticism. And uh, he said, uh, uh, he said, I, I just read your Aerosmith notes. I want you to write notes for me now. And I sort of hemmed and hawed because I'm not like a big Ted Nugent fan musically. Not I liked some of the hits, but I'm not like unlike Aerosmith, who I loved. Again, maybe, you know, I just I'm not that big a fan. And he literally being rather he he, he listened well because he goes, David, I sense you're not a fan of mine. He goes, don't worry. Uh, I love me. both. I love me enough for both of us. <laughs> and if you read the liner notes to that box set, which I think is called Out of Control, I basically just quoted Ted Nugent saying how great Ted Nugent is. <laughs> I, I, I maybe I might have said a couple of things about him being an agile guitar player, but almost everything positive was Ted on Ted, a Ted on Ted, a Ted talk, a self talk. <laughs> funny, funny. And this is also, um, since I'm Mr. Professional Radio or try to be, a nice little segue considering you've had all of these. Uh, encounters and backstories, knowledge of everything. Uh, this is a question from a listener, uh, Eric uh, Bromowitz or Bromowitz. Yeah, I'm sorry for mispronouncing it. Uh, David, please talk about the Behind the Music series. You're in there for guns. Any other episodes? Oh, I, I, in fact, someone tweeted today. I saw this because I was looking at the Rock Hall tweets and someone tweeted, David, who was in more Behind the Music episodes, you or someone? And I'm like, I think I might be in more than just about anybody uh because i was a i was a behind the music slut i always said yes <laughs> like there was a period of my life when like i couldn't believe people were asking me with this face to be on tv and i was i was saying yes and in fact there was one day i'm sitting in my house i think the day we or the week we moved into this house i got a call david bowie would like you to be in his any biography and i was like uh and i said absolutely anything for david who i worship the people came to my house and filmed and set up. And they said, once they got here, they said, listen, we're also doing one on Bobby Vinton, who is probably too old for most of your, uh, the, the listeners podcast audience to know of, but he was like, he had like a big Polish song called my melody of love when I was a kid. But before that, in the early, before any of this early sixties, he had like a lot of sort of like ballady pop Pat Boonish like big hit songs. So I said, look, I know very little about Bobby Vinton. And they said, we'll just ask you a few questions. If you ever were to know since then, I think Bowie did, they did three more updated any biography. So eventually I wasn't in a bunch of them, but the Bobby Vinton one, when it aired, it's like, there's three people in it. I think it's Mrs. Vinton, Bobby <laughs> Vinton and me. And I think I'm in more than they are because I don't know why I think they needed someone vaguely in the demo to be in this biography so uh i don't know how we got on to oh the, behind the music i was uh that was like my gateway into tv now i'm like a writer producer but uh i got called in to be in a few of them and then they asked me to produce some and like neil diamond uh said i'll only do uh, behind the music if david wilde produces it so i ended up producing or being in tons of them and for 10 years of my life i would be stopped in airports or on the street and people would they no one knows my name my wife is not clear on the name but <laughs> people for years people went behind the music guy like that was my name uh which is better than just jew because it's less <laughs> uh but uh i got that occasionally too i've gotten that too yeah in more recent years uh it's like 60s 70s 80s 90s that cnn series that tom hanks yeah did that is so that's replaced it i just was on a call where i heard I think behind the music is now coming back in some giant way. Okay. If they clear those old episodes, I would love to see which one I'm, which ones I'm in because I have no idea. <laughs> well, I, I love that response, by the way. And I, you know what? I got to thank you now because 
it's it's fascinating. I I'm somebody just because uh, growing up in radio and the classic rock radio, I, I know a lot about rock and roll. Like you, though, I've also realized there are a lot, you know, more intense fans out there. There are more people that know more about Guns N' Roses than me, other bands. But I know a lot. And I think the reason I know a lot are those behind the musics and those uh, those VH1 countdowns. Like, I just know certain facts. And I'm trying to think of uh, what do I, I can think of. Like, sometimes I could say something like about a band and my, my fiance is like, how did you know that? Like, I'm trying to be impressed. Yeah, if I can suggest a guest to you, and I don't know how to reach her now, but you could put it out there into the ether. Uh, the, the, and I may have mentioned this last time, but the truth is because again, like I probably was more into like U2 or, you know, whatever Elvis Costello at that moment when I, when Guns N' Roses came around, it was not my, uh, hard rock was not my main, main thing. You were kind of like a new wave kind of a... Oh, I, well, like, I, I went to high school and fell in love with Elvis Costello and the Pretenders. That's sort of, you know, what I was coming out of. But the truth is, when I got to Rolling Stone, I had an assistant who was a hard rock chick, great named Kim Neely, who was at first my assistant. And I started asking her because she had such a passion to review the hard rock stuff. And she was the one who literally like I'm sitting in a big office, young stupid and probably in over my head she was smart and like a lot of women in rock journalism probably being undervalued she was you know i think i don't think she was happy to be the assistant of someone as young as i was back then and i probably annoyed kurt loader who i just it was, it was just his birthday and i remember yeah he was in the next office i don't think they were too happy because i was like just two years out of college being made the boss of people older than me i think i would have hated i now hate me i I, you know, but I, I should have hated me back then, but she was the one who said, David, I think you're going to like this Guns N' Roses album. And she loved it. And I think she went on to write a book about Pearl Jam or Guns N' Roses or hard rock, Kim Neely. Uh, and I ended up, you know, I think giving her a break, but in terms of writing finally, but again, because of the sexism of rock journalism, I probably had a much easier time, uh, uh, of it, but I would look her up because she was an original fan and she's the reason I became a fan. I will. I absolutely will. Yeah. She wrote uh, five against one, the Pearl Jam story at least, yes. but no, absolutely. And if you see uh, her say hello and help apologize, if I was annoying, <laughs> I understand that. And that is a nice bookend because that ties everything together. That's how I look at the hall of fame. If somebody younger gets in before someone older, I think there's some sort of animosity there. If not between the bands, maybe they get it, but with fans. So it's like, I'll just use the, the, the safe example I used earlier. Green if Day I can just say, though, that, okay. like, that I, I, I don't think we can, the connections that music makes are so deep and across barriers of race and time completely. Like, uh, I actually, I think I tweeted. Youssef, Cat Stevens, who I won the Muslim Public Policy Award, quite an award. In 2001, I won the Muslim Public Policy Award with Cat Stevens because we did. I went to England to interview him for a VH1 documentary about his spiritual journey and his return to music. Hmm. But he, the first day we ever met, I was in London with him and he was a little uptight about what we were doing. He hadn't talked to like uh, you know, anyone like the rock press in a long time, he had sort of disappeared. And the moment we bonded was he sort of could tell I knew his music really well. And I think he respected that. So when the camera went off the first like real moment we had, he goes, David, let me ask you a question. Do you know Gil Scott Heron's music? And I said, Oh my God, I'm a deep. And I, you know, in college, Gil Scott Heron, put out a record called uh, B movie that I just loved. And, uh, and it was, you know, uh, so I be, had become a real fan and we had this moment where like, here's the guy who in everyone's mind is like the definitive sensitive, sensitive singer songwriter. And we totally bonded in the middle of like years. I think Gil Scott Heron had already died, but we bonded on our shared passion for this one poet of who basically set the stage for hip hop. Now he wasn't hip hop. He didn't even, you know, uh, you know, he, he was gone before the total domination of hip hop over rock and roll. Uh, and he had his own issues. Uh, Yusuf Islam had disappeared from the music world for decades, but in the end, this shared passion for music against all these barriers 
is the thing that that's why I love the rock and hall of fame. I think, you know, I, I just, I, I think it's always too simplistic when we are divided into camps, you know, and, you know, so it's like, I like everyone getting in, but I just think we should be careful. People should be careful when they say who shouldn't be in. Like, I think it's the more inclusive it is, yes. the better to me. I know I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't want to take away from anybody because even to, it's an honor just to be nominated. All of these artists are so deserving of recognition. As someone who loses a lot of Emmys, I completely embrace <laughs> the fact that it's an honor just to be nominated because I never get more than nominated. I guess maybe it's just like an older brother complex that I have. It's like, I just want, you know, if someone comes before you, paves the way, pay respect. I don't know. That's just but your attitude. But your attitude, the good thing is you will get what you want because when you once you are in, you then get a seat at the table more and more and you, oh, sure. you get more of a vote. So it's like, and I know Dave Grohl well enough to know that he will have his, say his piece, you know? Yeah, uh, he will. And, You're right. He will. And there's another generation. It's like for too long, there are too many probably guys my age who, you know, were in that room. I think the rooms in every room in entertainment right now, those rooms are changing and there's going to be more women and they'll be more diverse and they'll be generationally different. And that's that's a good thing. Oh, I agree with all of that. Uh, again, I think it's just for me, uh, the generational, but the, uh, the diversity thing is great. I guess like the the building blocks that get to that have thankfully led to all this diversity, you know, that we should pay respect to, you know, all genders, races, you know, it's like, who did it first? I can't. Some people are like a race, like first to comment. I'm like, I want to make sure, you know, it's again, I, I'll just use the example with Green Day. I mean, would there be a Green Day without the Go-Go's, you know, kind of kind of thing. That's the only thing. Uh, so I'm just I'm so happy that the Go-Go's are in. They have been should have been long ago. I'm happy LL is uh, is in. And in retrospect, I'm glad the way I'm, I'm, I'm happy the way that it did with Guns N' Roses. And, you know, maybe I'll ask you this. This will be your... Um, we could kind of wrap up this thought here. I think Gilby Clark should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the User Illusion Tour itself, I don't know any other tour that is still spoken about, like the User Illusion Tour, which set all kinds of records. It wasn't just about epic shows. It was about things that can go wrong, big events that happened over the, the course of the two and a half years. That, to me, is kind of like the equivalent of being on a World Series team. And yeah, you know, sports, I, I actually agree with the Gilby thing. And that's one of the things, again, I'm not in the room for that part of it. The what members get in, it doesn't seem consistent enough. It doesn't seem. That's part of my problem. Yeah. That's it. No, no. it. Yeah. But Gilby, was, I think I was a Gilby Clark fan before I was a Guns N' Roses fan because I was, I'm, as I mentioned tangentially a half an hour ago, the raspberries were like, I didn't, I didn't see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, but I saw the raspberries on like, Midnight Special or Don Kirshner's rock concert and the power pop. I love power pop. See, that's what more than hard rock. I'm more of a power pop guy. Uh, Eddie Trunk, interestingly, I'm always told he had the same first like love of a band. We went in slightly different directions, but he, uh, oh, but Candy was Gilby's band that his yeah. first big band. And I am an original, I'm the only East coast uh, candy fan you'll probably talk to today. I love that band. You're probably right. And actually today I just posted to kind of uh, celebrate the Go-Go's again again when I had Kathy Valentine on the show last year. She's great. She is. She's awesome. And she talked spoke about her friendship with Gilby and how she was friends with him with, with the candy days. And then, you know, years later they would work together on stuff. Uh, but it's all it's all connected. I, I love it. So uh, I'll this one last comment, I think, or, or I think I think it's a follower of yours. Because this is the truth. Uh, James Rice, I think it's a follow of yours, said, I loved every minute of this, talking about our first interview. I could hear you two go on for hours. More, please. So we've done like over an hour. I think we need to reserve because I'm not bored of you talking. And maybe your wife is, and I'm, I'm not. No, maybe. <laughs> There's no maybe that on that. Uh, <laughs> I believe Jim Rice is the Jim Rice who I went to Loomis Chafee Prep School in Windsor, Connecticut with. So he may okay. have, like, we probably sat and talked like hard rock and he was probably, I, I that's the prep school where I almost got killed for not liking a, a Grateful Dead album. That could get you killed in the prep schools of New England at the time. That that's seems where, 
I learned the dangers of being a, a rock critic in a, in a, in a New England prep school. <laughs> you would think like dead fans would be chill, but I, I guess not. Oh, well, they were too stoned to actually kill me, but they were intending to. They just didn't get kill there. you, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. if, I ever get, if I ever get out of this uh, uh, beanbag chair, I'm going to kill your ass, but they never could get out of that beanbag chair. And speaking of which, why aren't you, if you're watching on Zoom, why aren't you on your couch? Why have you been sitting on the floor for like an hour? I, I, well, I've spent the last month, the first Zoom we did was at my a dining room table. I did right. a lot outside, but I'm having work done outside. This is, I've been doing work Zooms for about three months on one, or I'm sorry, it lasts three weeks on project. And I finally got bored of like, I have a guitar backdrop in my son's room. I have the Sinatra, which doesn't seem that appropriate for the Guns N' Roses. No, it's this, always appropriate. Sinatra is always appropriate going forward. But this is just, yeah, this is just a, a, a sort of living room. I could, I did consider putting the Patty Smythe, the Patty Smith, uh, um, uh, Maplethorpe portrait because okay. I do. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Patty Smith fan, but I did not. I just want you to be comfortable. Are you comfortable on the floor? Oh, no. I'm, I, I like to sit cross legged on the floor since I was in uh, okay. elementary school. So that's the, yeah, I, I, I'm just making sure because yeah. I appreciate your time and I want you to come back. I just want to make sure I'm doing everything to make sure you are comfortable as my guest. So. Other than send snacks, yes, it's been. It's been <laughs> uh, all right. Well, good to talk to you again. Likewise. And, so that uh, does it. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll continue. We're, we're going to wrap a little bit, uh, David, off. Uh, we're just we're, we're hitting it off. To oh, I do have. Yeah, I do have another story we could talk about about Slash, but we'll do that some other time. OK. All right. We will leave it on that cliffhanger. So that does it. Why I didn't write Slash's book, although I nearly did. Ooh, ooh. OK, that's a good one. OK, so stay tuned for David Wilde. Part three. Uh, that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. David's next appearance, the next episode. Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know, it seems to be. Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home.